0: Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode I speak to award-winning artist and inspirational individual In.J. Colbard about what comics he would take into a solar storm reset apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, the Comic Scene Comic Club. Available from just £5 a month, you can get monthly issues of the History of Comics, 1930-2030, to monthly issues of the brand new Shift comic anthology, and two Comic Scene specials per year. To find out more and subscribe to the Comic Club, visit comicscene.org. Now, without further ado, on with the show! Hello, Ian Colbard. How's it going? Good, thank you. It's an have absolute you. pleasure to have it. Yeah, I'm well. I'm well. Um, I'm just very, very happy that the sun is out and the sky is blue. How's yeah. the weather where you are? The same. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it's just, it's, it really literally brightens up my day just to have a little bit of sun um, and where see some blue sky. Uh, I'm in Hampshire. Um, right, I'm,
1: not too, I'm just making sure I'm not next door to you. So it's... <laughs>
0: yes, yeah, yeah, wouldn't that be a exactly. quinky dink? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, I think it's 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 mostly across the the entire UK these yeah. clear skies today. So um, it's uh, it's it's nice to have in a, a little bit of a pick me up in these trying times. Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, for anybody that hasn't come across you just yet, and there are going to be very 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 few of those, um, what do you do in the world of comics?
1: I draw, predominantly I draw stuff for 2000 AD, which is a series called Brink, with Dan Abnett writing it, and uh, there's a series called Brass Sun, with Ian Edginton writing that. i am um, also got a series out in the US through Dark Horse, which is a spin-off from the Umbrella Academy uh, called um, You Look Like Death. Uh, which is um, to do with Klaus, um, the character Seance from the original Umbrella Academy lineup. That's got its own six-part miniseries that's happening uh, right now. I think it's on issue three, came out on Wednesday. And also with Christopher Cantwell for Burger Books, in, uh, which is an imprint for Dark Horse. Is um, uh, The series is called Everything, which is it had his first series and uh, got collected and then was due to start on the second series, but lockdown hit and mm. COVID hit and that waylayed the plans. And so essentially that's coming out as a trade next year. So that's been done as well. So that's finished and gone off to, be, um, to be an appearing in bookshops next, I early mean, in the spring, I think, I can't remember my dates, but something like that. Yeah. And, uh, I write stuff as well on occasion. I've done. I've adapted stuff for Self Made Hero. Adapted a bunch of Lovecraft books for Self Made Hero, and uh, King in Yellow, which is a Chambers book for Self Made Hero. Um, and I've drawn loads of books for them. And I had a original graphic novel for them called Celeste back in twenty thirteen, quite a while ago. And uh, so yeah, I just I just draw and occasionally write comment
0: box. fantastic well you've been you've been a very very busy man um over, <laughs> over the years um with, with all those bits and bobs and it's uh it's uh in- incredible to actually have you on the show so um, we really appreciate you coming on the show um now um where where's the best place for for all the folks at home to to check out all of your work
1: oh gosh i'm not I have (laughs) – this is a question of, like, does he have a website? No, I don't. Um, um, I have a Twitter handle and things like – I'm the most unprepared when it comes to online. I don't actually have an online presence, really. (laughs) So um, not because I'm old-fashioned or anything. I just don't don't, – I had a blog years ago. That's not going to help no. at all. What else have I got An Instagram?
0: <laughs> yeah. So in, in, Instagram and Twitter sounds like it's the best yeah, place to, so to try be, and find you.
1: Hard on Twitter and Instagram is, um, <laughs> I don't even know what it is. But um, <laughs> Yeah, this is how how wonderfully prepared for stuff like this. See, I just get on with the work. That's the
0: <laughs> <laughs> well. That's that's the most important part, Ian. So that's 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 the best. Um, but uh, all all of those links to your yeah. Twitter and your Instagram and things um, yeah. are uh, are in the show notes for the show, folks. So go yeah. go click on those links, and you can can follow Ian whilst we talk. Um, yeah. Don't literally follow Ian whilst he he talks um, <laughs> in real life. That's just a bit creepy yeah it would be a bit weird, but uh yeah, if you follow him on social media that 's absolutely fine um, but uh all of that aside ian um unfortunately, I do have some uh bad news on top of what 's going on at the moment, and yeah. that is is that planet Earth has been hit by a solar storm um yeah now for for anybody that isn 't uh, sure what that is it 's basically kind of a, a massive electromagnetic wave that comes off of the sun and basically wipes out all of our electronics um, and uh, the, the one of the biggest ones in recent history was about 120 years ago, something like that. So it didn't really affect us that much. But if it happened today, it would affect us quite poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, my question for you, Ian, is what is your action plan for survival in this solar storm reset?
1: Right. Um, <laughs> get out of <laughs> the city. That would be the very first thing I do. Oh, get an axe. That's the very first thing I do. I, I've always got an axe nearby, so I would definitely get an axe. Um, Just in case. Oh, because you can use an axe for everything. So that's the first thing. Um, and then I would get a plastic bottle of water because you can kind of sterilize the water that way. Um, get tin cans. So I'd get a load of baked beans uh, because you can use the tin cans later for a stove. Bingo. And, um and then I'd be looking for higher ground, so I'd head to the Lake District in this country. If I wasn't in this country, probably be about a lot more to pick from. <laughs> but it would be lakes for fresh water, and fishing, mm-hmm. and that's it. I'd be off.
0: <laughs> Genius, and and I assume you you
1: take your family with you. <laughs> of course, <laughs> they might make the cut. I'd abandon my plans to have an online presence with websites and I would just, and then say I was right all along to never plan for things like that. <laughs> Internet so I'd be like, see, I was right all along. And then I'd <laughs> ride everybody up in the car potentially and head up north to the lakes, which is about three hours away. And we'd avoid all the, uh, the main roads because I know how to get up there without the main roads.
0: Nice. Um, Very good. Yeah,
1: straight to the lakes. Bingo!
0: Um, and so uh, on your way to the lakes, mm-hmm. um, just to pass the time, because unfortunately uh, there there is no uh, radio at mm-hmm. the moment. We're just kind of getting a, a steady static on the radio waves because there's nothing. Um, mm-hmm. You you have a nice long conversation with your family um, and the the subject of comics comes up and your family want to find out more about comics and things. Um, uh,
1: (laughs) Sorry? Now they're asking me. <laughs> yeah, at last. <laughs> like, I have only dreamed of this conversation. <laughs> but it's only
0: taken a solar storm
1: <laughs> to, to take an interest in what your dad does for a living. Yeah,
0: <laughs> classic. Um, yep. And uh, the first question that they ask you is, uh, "What's the first comic you remember enjoying?"
1: Oh, I was uh flight seven four seven. I think it is to Sydney. And it was, um, I'm pretty sure, like I have a very early memory of that as a kid because I grew up um, <clears throat> bilingual. Oh, great. English which language. Uh, English and Polish. Uh, right. And so, which is no use here because it's now the second most spoken language in the UK. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I already speak the first one and the second one. But the, um, I'd... So my yeah, so my mother, t- the first language technically I would have learnt was my mum speaking to me in Polish. So, mm. the, um, so I still have a problem with my ths to this day, <laughs> uh, which I get pulled up on by my wife all the time. And then uh, I, um, but in order to learn English, I, uh, she used to bring me lots of comic books uh, from doctors' waiting rooms mainly. <laughs> And uh, so I used to read a lot of stuff that was like you'd see lying around in doctor's waiting rooms and stuff. Um, And one of those happened to be a bunch of Tintins that she brought back and specifically that one I really enjoyed. Um, So yeah, I had a memory of that very early on and really enjoying those. I think that's really where it kind of all started for me, I think was, was those comics um, in order to get, to encourage me to read, because I was a really lazy reader reader always, you know, yeah. and English is not, apparently it's just largely you read it as it's said, and English isn't really like that, so <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. Fantastic. And so um, from that point onwards, obviously that kind of must have inspired mm-hmm. you to uh, delve more into comics, mm-hmm. and part of that must have been starting to draw. Did you start off kind of, uh just uh copying Tintin, or did yeah. you go off and do anything like copying
1: anything really um i didn't used to write in class at all so if i was hmm. at school i can remember there was there was one there was quite a few essays that i used to just draw them and um i had a brilliant teacher though because i can remember him bringing me to the front to the front of the class <laughs> and saying um Not in front of all the other kids, but when they're, like, going through all your work and stuff. And he said, this is great. He's looking at an essay that was, like, five pages of comic, basically. (laughs) And he said, it's fantastic, but um, imagine I can't see, and now tell me the story that you've drawn. And that was his way of encouraging me to actually, and then write it down. Very good. Remember it. And that was his way of, he was a brilliant teacher like that, though. So um, I can remember, yeah, it was something I did quite a lot. And I would often sit in front of the TV and drawing while watching TV, and you know that's just something I've always done. So, but yeah, it's kind of it was my main sort of source of communication. Really, was to draw yeah. what I was thinking or wanting to say because I used to. Um, yeah, that was the that was really the main communication method. I think.
0: Fantastic. And so what kind of drove you into into the comic book industry itself? Um, kind of what was your first uh, bit of bit of work?
1: Um, I didn't come up in the education system that I had was one where um, uh, comic books was discouraged. so none of these mm. courses that you get now that just nothing like that really existed. So I kind of ended up in, and also I was told at Careers Day. <laughs> when mm-hmm. i was told um um i said what i wanted to do and they said um oh you're going to be an accountant then and so now <laughs> looking at the state of the finances in this country that's a lot of artists that, that they basically became accountants that's what that <laughs> is so, no wonder we're in this mess. <laughs> we're into way too much creative accounting but i think it's a uh, i think i um i kind of felt quite rebellious against the system like that you know i didn't want to do it the way that everybody else was doing it from that day on and um or do what i was told to do so if they were saying things like you can only draw this i wouldn't so i'd go and draw something else because Mm. i felt like there's no reason why you couldn't be taught this stuff and um and i was right (laughs) (laughs) solar eclipse i was right The, the the solar flares um i kind of went um roundabout route of getting that education and eventually ending up on a BA course for animation because I figured that storyboarding was close enough and so I ended up a film and TV uh, director and um, working in animation and um, and it was while I was doing that and I used to do a lot of um, TV development work for TV shows Uh, And that's essentially like being in that development hell that people hear about and you (laughs) you never see stuff actually made. Mm. And it was because of that that I made a comic called Sideshow, which I produced over a weekend. It was a stream of consciousness type of comic written on the fly and 32 pages done over a weekend. Very quick, simple stuff. I printed it uh, on the photocopiers at work. I took 10 copies into uh, GOSH in London and sold them there. Uh, But it was really what I really wanted to be able to do. You know, it was kind of reinvigorating my want to do it rather than just be reading those comics, you know. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be in comics for years. And um, I remember trying out for Vertigo like some years before that and uh, checking in and out because I didn't feel good enough to do it. Um, um. so, yeah, I kind of, that's how I sort of started out. I sort of, sort of then, when it got to about 2005, <clears throat> we'd had uh, our first son, and and I can remember this is a really good time now to just drop a very lucrative career in advertising and just become a comic book artist. Cause that of was course. At all. <laughs> and I could easily not support my family on that income, so I basically decided to do mm-hmm. that, um, switch careers while um while having to consider that I couldn't go back on that because you know I had to support my family with it so um that was a good driving force to do it and um I tried out for 2000 AD and got rejected and then um I had a really nice rejection letter on the day my son was born Mm -hmm. which was basically I've told the editor since then about this as well so he knows about this but I uh (laughs) It was amazing because I remember I was so elated, so overjoyed at my son being born that I was reading it and going, "Ah, oh, that's such a lovely letter." <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing could touch me that day. It was just amazing, sure. and then but it kind of got me to try again, and you know, and and then I tried out for Dark Horse had a thing called New Recruits program, um, around about the same time, and I got in on that, and I managed to do about forty pages of comic for them, and then. Um, and then I remember I was talking to God. This is my entire beginning of my career. So this is why my kids in the car wouldn't be asking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's fascinating. <laughs> we, we we got three hours ahead of us up to the lake.
1: So. I know it's a long way to the lakes. So um, and they're locked in. Exactly. <laughs> and I think uh, I remember twenty fifth. So about two thousand five, something like that. I did that for America, and then um. And then because uh, I had lunch with um, Disraeli who drew, who's done a lot of stuff with Ian Edgerton and he was meant to be doing a picture of Dorian Gray for Self-Made Hero. And uh, this is about 2008 now, I think it was. And, um, and I can remember I'd met up with him and I was talking about how terrible my work was to him uh, (laughs) that I'd done so far in comics and how I wanted to be able to do better and, all this kind of stuff so I'd really berate myself and even then I didn't have a website you could go and visit but I uh, (laughs) um, then I uh, from the conversation from that he said why don't you speak to Edgerton I can't do this job but you could do this so it's a lot owing to him that bit of luck of meeting him and then him putting me in touch with then and then doing straight away being given a 120 page book to draw wow um, was amazing. And so uh, it was a real kind of um, cutting your teeth, you know, hot, cold stuff, situation. But um, I managed to get through getting the whole of that and really got the bug from doing that, you know, got really onto wanting to do more. And the partnership working with Edgington was really good. And then we did a bunch of Sherlock Holmes novels together and we did a Princess of Mars as well. And so it really started to kick off. Um, really quickly at that point and that eventually led with Edgington to working for 2000 AD and actually working on Brass Sun so yeah that in a nutshell is pretty much how yeah. I managed to get back in
0: to do Fantastic. it. Fantastic well that that's it a, that's an in, inspirational mm-hmm. amount of ambition and persistence um, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of a it's a tale for those that are out there at the moment trying to pull them up pull themselves up by their bootstraps yeah. trying to make their way uh, higher and
1: higher up in the industry um, think the and thing uh, there is that you have to consistently make your own luck yeah exactly. uh, but you, you know you're making that luck so mm-hmm. you know, that is you, that's on you when you're doing yeah. it It's not something that's ever just handed to you you've got to create the situations where that could happen or I think it's really important to kind of pull our, you know, get going at that. I mean, my animation career started with, I mean, we were homeless when that started, mm. and hanging around um, laundrettes to find two-pence pieces so that I could use them in the phone, oh, wow. I could ring companies. So that yeah, I was wow. a, a director. But what I learned from that situation was that, uh, and that's why I had the wherewithal to kind of do this when my son was born with comics was because, I went from being in a situation like that to essentially two years later directing for TV. So it felt like that experience and it doesn't work that way for everybody, but it, it happened that that I was fortunate for that to have happened for me at that point. And it kind of, uh, and it was very much a feeling of, well, two years from now, anything could happen. You know, it's that, it's that sort of thing, you know? You know, it's a, and a month is a good long period of time for anything to happen. You can do anything. Right. And that's always sound advice as well. So it was a case of, uh, and those are fortunate circumstances in my, in my favor there. You know, mm. it's very much like, I do always consider myself enormously lucky to be where I'm at even without a websites
0: so. <laughs> well it just goes to show you don't necessarily <laughs> need that um if you if you actually call people send letters uh meet up with people yeah. when we can um then uh yeah it's it's totally possible to to yeah. to not have an online presence necessarily not
1: definitely. necessarily no i've never really required i've never really needed to have done that at that point I to kind of just go from I don't know how I do it. I just go from job to job. So, very, very lucky to do so as well.
0: Force of nature, Ian, by the sounds of it. <laughs> um, and uh, just see that, that kind of your, your story certainly sounds like, um, it's that saying that luck is where opportunity and preparation meets. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you were prepared for the opportunities that arose. Because um, the thing kinda...
1: is also to remember that, because like, a lot of people sort of think it's talent that does that. And I we know well, far too many people that are enormously talented, and yet aren't able to get past certain yeah. hurdles. Or you know, mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily that. I think it's a lot of luck. So you know, it's enormous fortune that that sort of thing falls into place. And talent, of course, is useful. But mm-hmm. the point is, is that being in the right place at the right time in certain circumstances, whatever way that life of yours is going to go, it's 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 you know. It's very, very handy. So, yeah, it's it's always a worry as well, because like, I think for a lot of freelancers, the wolf always feels like it's at the door. So there's definitely driving motivations to keep you kind of moving, yeah. you know, for definite, you know. Absolutely.
0: Fantastic. Uh, now, uh, going back to the car on the way up to the lakes, <laughs> um, your, 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 your family uh, wants to move on to the next question, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, yeah. And that
1: is, uh, what's the funniest comic that you've read? Oh gosh! um yeah, I'm not sure um laugh out loud um comic I didn't have one for this. I found this one really difficult to kind of um to get to. I was thinking there were several things that like as a kid, sort of just like puerile <laughs> you' might yeah. have growing up. Definitely, you know, because I used to read everything from Wizard and Chips to Bino and just anything that had pictures in it, it, really. Um, I can remember I had, uh, uh, what was it called? Um, Ed the Happy Clown, which was this series called Yummy Fur, which was from Chester Brown. And this is how pure I was. It was just a man (laughs) on the toilet the whole time and he can't stop going. And he decides he's got to get off the loo because he's got to go. So, 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 so story. But yeah, he ends up getting beaten up because of the fact that he puts on a pair of trousers and it looks like he's aware. There's a guy out in the streets who thinks he's a werewolf. Oh, my- <laughs> a tail out of the back of his trousers. <laughs> so, so it's like, it might be funny to me, but it's not going to be funny to anybody else. <laughs> I think that's, that's funny. funny. That's really funny. Yeah. yeah there yeah. little things like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's great. Oh there you go. But it worked at the time when I read it. I did laugh out loud when I read
0: it. Precisely. And that's all it has to be, you know. Okay. Um fu- f- funny is what makes you laugh really. Um and that's that that's fantastic Ian. Um just a, that you still have that memory yeah. of that happening and it's, it made you just chuckle just then, so that's uh, telling. Yeah.
1: Oh dear. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: fantastic. <laughs> but yes.
0: Brilliant. So um, we're gonna we're gonna change gears again. <laughs> um, you might be changing gears as you as you're not on the motorway um, as well. But uh, yeah, what's the what's the yeah? What's the saddest comic that
1: you've read? Oh, that's easy. That's from V uh, for Vendetta. There's a section in V for Vendetta called the Lark Hill Letters, and that actually makes me upset thinking about it. That's really sad. So mm. yeah, that was an amazing bit. It's a lot of the stuff in it's about the human spirit and that's a really hard read. Like, I think everybody gets up when they read that, if they've ever read V for Vendetta. Yeah. It's a book that really, when I was in my teens, really informed me politically, you know, mm-hmm. about situations. So I grew up in both England and uh, Poland. So I saw what Poland was like under the militia in the 80s. And right. So, you know, politically, we were all solidarity. So um, I think it's really, um, yeah, that that really spoke to me when I was growing up. And I think getting to the Lark Hill letters, I think, was a um, really profound section in the book. Um, yeah, that definitely made me cry. I can't even talk about it because it actually yeah. makes me upset. Yeah, Because
0: for anybody that doesn't know, Lark-, Lark Hill's the resettlement camp, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right
0: in the book that's it, that's
1: it see i can't even talk about it yeah and um no. it's about somebody who's who's writing to somebody and they're finding the messages have been scrawled on toilet paper yeah and wow. uh, it's a profoundly sad the section of the book and yeah first time i read it it still makes me yeah i, I guess the other thing <laughs> what a contrast the other thing making me laugh but this one just in inter- it just is so terribly sad the story the behind it but it's like um, yeah that's something that still lasts that's such powerful writing though it was just amazing in that book You know, it's fantastic Alan Moore and Dave Lloyd um, produced it and it was just incredible it's a beautiful book as well it's beautifully yeah. drawn the artwork's amazing but um, <clears throat> and it didn't require any kind of like harsh language right? it was harsh enough in its point exactly but- I remember watching the movie and the movie just resorts to painting the bad guy by using expletives and the book never needed to do that Uh, because you get the message that the person's that horrendously evil just through their actions, you know? So it's a really good book, but yeah. So I think that one, that was easier than the laughing one. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just just came to you. Um, yeah. and again, it, just, it just goes to show how how powerful um, comics and graphic novels can be yeah. um, just to kind of elicit emotion yeah, from people. Yeah. And you still kind of have those searing memories in there, whether it be funny or sad.
1: I do wonder, like, like if he was upset, if he was crying when he wrote it. You <laughs> must mm. have affected yeah. him when he actually wrote it. There's mm. no way that, that – because and in some way – that sort of transfers across to the reader when they pick it up, you know, they, they, mm-hmm. they read that loaded emotion in those words and stuff. So I do think in some way it must have affected him when he wrote it. And it comes yeah, from does, a really yeah. place. It's like, really? Because yeah. it is the desperate clinging on of humanity in that, you know, it's, 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 yeah. it's so raw. That's fantastic.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd love to obviously get um, Alan Moore on the on the show and ask him about that. <clears throat> but um, yeah. did you? You can, you can but dream.
1: <laughs> you must have done. <laughs> it's, it's so raw yeah,
0: yeah, exactly, fantastic. Um, now, um, changing emotions once again. Yeah. Um, what's the scariest comic that you've read?
1: That's going to be. I was trying to decide whether it was Uzumaki's, uh, the Uzumaki by Junji Ito or whether it was, um, but it's probably Swamp Thing. And several reasons. That's Alan Moore's uh, steepest set. Uh, it's the, the, um, I collected them in like these black and white volumes. Uh, there were 11 of them that I picked up at a time. Because mm. it's either that or it's hell, 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 Hellblazer. -hmm. Uh, See, without a Hellblazer, there's a scene in Hellblazer where he eats his arm. It's in the Newcastle story, and they just can't stop eating. That's horrible. Uh, But in this one, in Swamp Thing, I think it's also because, and again, it's Mm Alamore. But this one, so V for Vendetta and Swamp Thing going from Alamore to Alamore. But I think it's with this one, it was, um, there's a scene in the second volume. In uh, what's it called, "Sleep of Reason," in which a, um, a swordfish comes off the roof rack of a car and spears a guy. <laughs> it could also qualify as funny. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly, like, in the right way, definitely. It's absolutely horrific when it happens in the book, but also the other thing is um, there's also the message of the ecosystem being put through this. The idea of plants just switching off the oxygen. There's so many horrific things in this um but there's also the sense that when you're reading it especially now uh but this was also at the time like late 80s early 90s or whatever when i was reading it and you had your blue peter appeals to save the planet and stuff it always felt like we were on an ice flow uh already and and drifting because and it's too late you know when you're reading this stuff ecologically it's it's already a disaster especially now with like you know you have the rainforest, the lungs of the planet are on fire and you. Yeah. it's a Swamp Thing. And it's just like, it's probably more horrific than it was at the time of right. you know, <laughs> increasingly so. It's like, it's like a horror that gets more horrific, I think. So I would probably say Swamp Thing over those others easily, yeah.
0: Fantastic. And uh, moving on to my favourite question, and that is what's your favourite cover?
1: Oh, that's hard. Isn't it? Yeah, i am um, uh, J- uh, james Jean and dave mckean uh that's sort of like you know the the um fables covers um or the or the um sandman covers or even if yeah. yeah. hellblazer covers um that sort of, I guess that's really, that's dating me, that's that era. <laughs> um, but when Dave McKean was doing everything, he was doing file cases and big numbers. I really like the cover to big numbers, actually. That's a hard choice, but it's yeah. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it would be, but it would be something like that.
0: <laughs> One of them, definitely. And I mean, they're, they're, they're all beautiful um covers and just so well orchestrated. um it's uh it's just uh, again it's just incredible art to to look over and you know the type of thing that you kind of you want in large large prints so that you can properly look at the details
1: yeah because when i was doing the lovecraft covers i was looking at um a lot of um uh, polish theater posters from the 80s right um surreal i
0: can see that
1: and there's an element definitely there's an element of that to dim mckean's work i think that's partly why it appeals as well because it's Mm. like british school of arts got a lot of stuff that's like that it's very familiar um so it's not like um it it was almost like it kind of resonated on a cultural level for me even though he's not actually probably influenced by british theater art (laughs) it is like to me it sort of sort of has that sort of surrealism to it which i quite like so um It's quite unique, the stuff that he does. I've never seen anything quite like it, especially when the characters are masks and things like that. So, yeah, probably Dave McKean on that one. Fantastic.
0: And just out of interest, how how do you go about constructing a a cover? You know, um, it'd be be really interesting to look at your process even further.
1: Thumbnail processes of just random compositions and images. They tend to be just Mm. to go publisher and go, right, which one do you really want? I did a bunch of them for um uh the Everything covers recently that were quite hard to do. Um they had a very specific remit to them to do with every single one of them had to have something to do the sales or the store or which is central to the story. Um finding different ways to do that was quite hard. And one of those there was one where there's a guy who's got a magic yeah so every single issue they've got a different head on a character sometimes mm-hmm. or they've got like something weird like that was always going on and there's one with like where there's a guy who's got um a magic eight ball for a head because then the, the magic eight ball says outlook not good <laughs> inside of it and stuff and um but all that stuff just comes – and that was an idea that I pushed through after a couple of tries as well. You know, I do, I, mm. I put it in for a book the covered two, issue three, and then issue four, and I think you know, two, three, and four, and eventually let me do it for four, you know, so it kept coming back in all my roughs. <laughs> but it, I think they're kind of like you're really trying to find something – like for the Lovecraft covers like Mountains of Madness, for example, I just tried to do it. I did it as if I was imagining a travel brochure from the period of time um so the image was quite abstract in that sense um and then the weirdest one i think i got away with doing was the shadow out of time which is mm-hmm. like, this planet and then it's a ring around this planet and a line leads down to another ring that's around a brain and it's because of this mental transfer that happens mm-hmm. in the story this guy basically is like his his consciousness is switched out with an alien and so um but it's a weird cover. That I managed to get through. Often they want you to put people on covers and stuff, so it was a miracle yeah. I those ones. But um, uh, so anywhere where I didn't get uh, where there's not a person on the cover, I probably had to fight for that one. Yeah. <laughs> Some degree. I don't know. It wasn't that bad, but they tend to be a lot of roughs, and just to get an idea, like a general sort of summary of whatever's going on in the issue or the book in particular um you know any kind of strong imagery that kind of sends off that kind of thing so it sets off on something yeah
0: exactly that, that's brilliant um and uh yeah it's it's interesting to hear that you still have to battle <laughs> with, with a publisher on
1: what you yeah, want I, always uh, i have to pitch every time i have to yeah it's never nothing's um Nothing's nothing's easy. <laughs> 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 the, the
0: battle never ends. ends.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's. Uh, yeah, it's. it's um, I tend to go with whatever when there's an inclination from somebody because the ideas tend to be so different. I uh, just go with whatever choice they make. It's dealer's choice, really. Mm. I think it's, I don't really, and um, I don't mind that because it's. Kind of, I like those sorts of restrictions. I never tried to fight a corner. Yeah. I think I'm right. I always think if you coll- it's a collaborative process, comic book, whatever level. Even if you're working on a book or you're writing and drawing yourself, mm. it's still a collaborative process. And I always think that I've always had this rule when I'm working with Dan Abnet, which is that if I've got an idea and I think it's amazing, and he's got an idea and he thinks it's amazing, we're both wrong. Yeah, <laughs> so we've both got to come to find what that what it means is just out of reach. Is a tang- it's barely tangible third idea that we've got to reach because it's better than both our ideas and and it's always worth doing because it usually is well it always is actually <laughs> can't yeah. believe that's where it was a bad idea worse than the ones we came up with but yeah often that's the case it's a very handy way to do that whole kill your darlings thing as well yeah um to just open up and be receptive to working with other people when you do it it's just always good so i tend to and you need ramification you need to sort of like you need jumpers for goalposts in a way you need to understand where it is that you're shooting for in terms of like so when they come around with a brief use those the restrictions of the brief because it's useful it kind of pushes you down a certain way of working it pushes you into a certain way of thinking as well so it's always good to have those things you know and go with whatever it is it's all luck in the end anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: was brilliant. Um, now, uh, moving on to another one of my favourite questions, and that is, what's the most meaningful comic to you? Uh-huh.
1: Um, the Now of Brown by Glyn Dillon. Um, I read it, uh, when I read it, it was around about the time of my birthday, and I the main protagonist in that story, you know, this one,
0: I have come across it before. Yeah. It's, 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 it's come up a couple of times before, but not As in a wee while. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this one's, um, so it's a young woman who suffers from OCD, um, uh, lives in London, works in a toy shop, like a novelty kind of toy shop. And, uh, um, like with the sort of like pop figures, that type of, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. what do you call it? Like, what's it? Certain type of, i forgot what it's called that type of shop anyway. I won't obsess about that, but the point is, uh, she has OCD and um, uh, designer vinyl toy shop. I'm now reading off the inside blurb of this, there you go. yeah, right. That's the word I was looking for designer vinyl toy shop. I didn't want to make it like just sound like Hamley or whatever. It's called. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, um, I read this one. And she came across like a tulpa, like a real person by the time I'd done reading it. Like Mm -hmm. the experiences of this young woman living in London. And um, I genuinely believed it was a real person when I finished reading it. Like I, like I somehow knew who this was and um, I like the, um, the, yeah, the, the, the book is beautiful, beautifully drawn, beautifully written. Um, dealing with issues of um, OCD, mental mental health. And um, I've had anxiety since I was a kid. So there was a hell of a lot in there that I could relate to in terms of her anxieties as well. Mm. Um, So I felt it was really very much personally affecting like that. But it doesn't just end there, because that's also published by Self Made Hero, who's published a lot of my stuff. So um, Glyn and I got to travel to Angolem, and um, I got to stay at his house in London uh, before we set off on the train to Anglem the next day. And he put me in the room that the story that she lives in, in the actual book. Whoa, that must have been <laughs> so That was weird. And so what was bizarre was like, it's all pretty much the same. I mean, in the book, the ceiling's black, uh, red, but in the actual apartment, it's black. But the futon's there. Uh, that she sleeps on. Um, the desk is there, but it's got different stuff and different books, but it's the desk is definitely there and it's all set up exactly the same. And I was in this room and I was like, whoa, this is, this is actually her room. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay. So I went to sleep. And the following morning, I woke up, but I was like in that blur of just getting up and um, I can remember the sound of like people moving around downstairs. And i can remember the line i was just think whoa this is a bit too weird now <laughs> this is like she's here it was so weird like actually being there you know that whole thing of when i read it and she was a torpor, and now i'm actually in her place is just really strange so yeah that was so if you wanted one that had like a a meaningful it's <laughs> that i don't think i could get more meaningful than no, that no, all. It was bizarre. like it was so weird like it's, it's a place like you know so yeah that was cool you know and um, so a lot of connection with that book because it was kind of like um, um yeah like a really odd experience <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> undoubtedly that's yeah. that's a pretty unique experience as well because
1: yeah, then after that i sort of thought about it i thought imagine if you could package that for <laughs> people yeah. who read the book like in some way so that they can kind of more relate to that character even more
0: you know. <laughs> <laughs> well if Glynn falls on hard times he could do uh paid yeah. paid for tours
1: i know, and enter an airbnb and yeah room rented out there's like the, the narrow brown room where you can read the book while you're there because that is what's also really weird is that you kind of – you haunt the place in a way. You know, it's – yeah, it's really strange. So, yeah, I really like that book as well.
0: <laughs> so it's brilliant. brilliant. And that's also got a great cover as well. That's an amazing cover with the washing machine.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Do you know how he came up with that?
1: Mm, I know what it means. But n- yeah. no, what, what story so, do yeah, you... Yeah, go on. Oh,
0: I, don't, I don't have a story, unfortunately. Oh, no. Um, I was just wondering if, uh, if, you, if you managed to, to find out. But uh, yeah, do you, no, we, can you I give us want- your interpretation of what it means?
1: Oh, well, that's to do with the settings. That comes up in the story, actually. It's in the book. Yeah. So, but it's, uh, I think it's like, there was a discussion that I don't want to say anything because he said, um, I remember him explaining this to somebody and it wasn't quite what I expected. <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> interesting.
1: I took it to mean that it was the settings of, because of the description that was there later on in the book mm. so I thought it was to do with that I have exactly. got that right now because it's ages since I read it now anyway, <laughs> yeah
0: well yeah. That's, the, that's the beauty of art though as well isn't it that um, even though you as an artist can mean it to mean one thing yeah. somebody looking at it might interpret it in another way
1: absolutely that's the death of the author that's the whole thing of the yeah. thing of the death of the author where you hand over at some point uh, see that's the thing it's like the i think for me it's very much like the doing of the book and then once it's done i just forget about it and i just get on with the next thing i, do, I think it's the it's somebody else's now you know mm-hmm. once they take it and they they're going to interpret it any number of ways you know i mean that's what i did with celeste was i was i was very consciously aware of interpretation uh, once while I was doing that book. So a lot of the book was heavily art orientated and very few words in it because it's much more, it uses visual narrative to be able to give you things like exposition dumps and stuff that you wouldn't know unless you were specifically reading the pictures. Mm. Um, And yeah, how people interpret that. I was very aware that they're reading the book written by a guy that's like, you know, it's all sorts of things that come into it and very aware. So a lot of that would dictate my choices in, in ways of how people might interpret something. And then when it, the difficulty is then once you've done something like that is afterwards when people say, so what was that all about? And you kind of just go, well, that's up to you. You know, yeah. that's the that David Lynch thing where he doesn't explain his films for good that reason. It's a very similar sort of thing where people have their interpretations of it, even though his films do have a very particular set reason for being the way that they are um there are right ways of decoding as films you know it's, mm-hmm. but it's also no wrong way of you having your view of it you know i always think that art is essentially it's art where the i'm also more interested in the things I, I, I don't like because art to me is um if you like it or hate it it's art if mm-hmm. you're completely indifferent to it it's not art so, a light can be coming on and off in a room, and you might be oblivious to it, then it's not art. But mm-hmm. if it's in the tape and you're getting annoyed and you think that's ridiculous, that's not art, then it's art. It is art yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that's largely that's readerships are kind of to some degree that is, you know, that's for you to interpret. That's, that's my gift to you.
0: <laughs> that's brilliant, Ian. That's brilliant. Uh, now, uh, moving on uh, to our next question What's the most underrated comic?
1: Oh gosh. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I found it impossible to answer for a very similar reason to the one that we just talked about, which is about the interpretation of what art is and what art isn't. So that is the light (laughs) coming on and off in the room, and whether you were just thinking, or something. I sort of think that reality is like there's two worlds there's the real world and the world you believe to be real. Mm hmm but we all live in the worlds that we believe to be real, right? All of us do. And science comes along and tells us about the real world, but artists come along and tell us about the worlds that they believe to be real. And that's fundamentally what an artist's job is or writer or whatever. And I think it's, uh, so when it comes to like your personal tastes, I think I learned from doing the Lovecraft books to not be a fan of things in a sense. Mm. Like not be not to this is why a lot of these questions were so hard because it was like not to pin your colors to the sort of thing on all of these things because of the fact that they change. and yeah. you should change as a person. You should be a contradiction. you should be a hypocrite and embrace it. um You should always seek change and development and you know move move on to other things and and find other things to do. You know, so I think it's especially as a developer and as an artist as well, that's something you should always be doing anyway. Don't ever get stuck. Um uh, you know, don't I, I had that with style. I can remember somebody mentioning something that I did in a particular way with the drawings that I did them way back at the beginning, was so the homes books, and there was a line that I used to draw through faces and somebody pointed that out in an interview in a in a review and I just basically stopped doing it then. Because I just thought, if I don't stop doing that now, I'll always have to draw a line, even though now it feels natural to do it. But in the future, I'll have to do it, even if it doesn't feel natural. As well. Well. And and so you can't really... um, I always feel like you shouldn't... uh, Well, I feel like I shouldn't um, sort of stick myself like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Because then you just end up getting stuck drawing as the person you know all the time you don't develop you know there's a, there's a threat of that happening you know there's a possibility that you might get stuck in the same place and never develop and so um and it's important to move on i think uh for me anyway i don't yeah. you know there are artists that kind of do the same thing all the time and i really like this stuff um mm-hmm. i just personally i wouldn't be able to i wouldn't be able to do that I'd I'd have to change, even to the point where I look at things like Brink, for example, and that's something where the backgrounds never change because it's the same space station all the time, you know. But the Mm. people, there's a certain development in the drawing over the years that I've been drawing it. So, five books in, and the main protagonist doesn't look that much like she did at the very beginning because I've changed as an artist and it's reflected in the work. So, I think it's you have to allow yourself the room to be able to do that. And I think there are artists that, you know, they look like they're doing the same thing for years, but they kind of, there's a a slower kind of, definitely a sense of development there. You know, there's some sort of movement where they're exploring certain things and or they're just not done exploring that scene sometimes either. So I think it's important to be able to uh, develop in some ways personally. Like that's just wouldn't work. Definitely works for other people because I've seen them do it, but for me Mm -hmm. no it wouldn't go well for
0: me. Yeah, me me either. You know, um, yeah. no, I kind of really feel like I need to always be, I don't know if it's the right way to say it, but moving forward, evolving. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as you say, kind of create something and then move on to the next thing. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, it, it's the world now.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> but it's also like, if you saw Sideshow, which is the first comic I did, mm. compared to what I do now, these were characters with, bear in mind also, it also was 32 pages drawn over a weekend so it was very fun. <laughs> they're but, but kind of like there's characters that had eyes on the sides of the head. so and I was working in animation and in animation when you do design, it's design principles of things happening in threes and you know you've got always like a, something that holds across a line. Mm. It's always because they've got familiar aspects that go through the characters so there's the consistency that you kind of mm. put in, you build into it the design model. And I think in comics, you know, it just felt... I think probably the reason why that trajectory is like that is because of the fact that I came from animation to not want to get stuck doing that and just develop. Even if I am drawing the same character for the last five years, I want to see that person change, you know, in some way, some subtle way, you know? So I think it's important to keep shifting and changing and moving along. Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
0: Fantastic. Now we come on to the most difficult question um, and we're nearly at the lakes, by the way, just so you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, For you, what is the best comic of all time?
1: Domu by Katsuhiro tomo which is, uh, which hardly anybody's read, I think, because it's out of print for years now. And it's, um, see, that's the other one where it's really difficult. Part of the reason why I picked this one, okay, so now I've got a very good reason why I picked this one. <laughs> partly because this the best comic ever changes on a monthly basis as far as i'm concerned
0: exactly exactly
1: um i went for something that i found myself doing when i was pitching was i would go back to certain familiarities of like inspiration um, from way back and i used to be like in the early 90s or late 80s early 90s i used to pretty much couch, surf, or slum it in in, uh, (laughs) – it was, you know, in – what do you call it? I've forgotten the word for it now. Um, But I used to just travel around and just basically write scripts. So I'd write scripts for comic books or I'd write scripts for movies, and I used to sit there doing that all the time. And one book I came across was *Domu*, The Dreams of Children, this one's called, because it's published by uh, Mandarin, I think it is. And it's not – is it? Yeah, and um, it's uh, what year was this published? 81, is it? Or this was first published in Great Britain in 1994. Oh, uh, okay. before, this edition Dark Horse published it at some point as well. Right. Um, it was out before it actually came out before that, yeah, absolutely. It came out yeah. in, um, uh, because it predates Sakura. I think. The story in this one is it's uh, an apartment block, well, a series of apartment blocks. And it's a ki- an old man chose this character, very old guy, uh, and a group of kids that are there. There's a particular girl there called Etsuko. And she's, um, and it's kind of like trying to, do- the thing is, when you read the blurb on the back of the book, I feel it spoils the book. This mm. i read it without reading the blurb i just read it blind i didn't know what i was coming mm. into when i first read it so i'm very careful about how I describe this one to people because you don't want to ruin what actually happens in the story because he kind of plays it out in a way that's not very abundantly apparent at the beginning you kind of have a few red herrings as to where you think things are going to go so there's a guy who throws himself off the top of a building at the very start of the story What I was saying about the reason why I keep coming back to this book is because whenever I sit down to do writing of my own, I always read the opening lines of this book, and I don't know why, but I just just do it. So, um, and it taught the the big the beginning of it talks about this hat that belongs to this kid called Takashi, uh, and it goes to this guy called Takashi, and it goes about, um, and it's just two pages. And for some reason, it's almost like a sort of thing that sets me off into thinking about stuff, right? And and what happens is it's kind of like The Shining in a in an apartment build in in a block of flats. Is the best way to describe it. And without giving it away, and so there's a guy that throws himself off the top of the building, and then in the beginning, I'm rambling and I'm all over the place, but you can catch up with me. Now, we're not quite at the lakes yet. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the apartment buildings like got something weird going on that that has that kind of shining vibe to it and people throwing themselves off the tops of buildings committing suicide all sorts of things the police come along and then you know mop up after this guy's jumped off the building and you sort of start to follow the police and you think it's the police's story and and it revolves from there that's why i didn't really want to spoil what actually happened to that but it's like um it's really good. It's a really beautifully balanced book. There's a certain cinematic quality to it, which I think is really important in, in its editing, but also in its um, composition. Um, there's something really, I think um, something the thing about the medium of comics is I've always felt that it's a, it's this, it's the happy medium because it sits in between literature and cinema and it can borrow from both and it can produce these amazing things using the language of both of those things. And this very much does that balancing trick to a T I think, and does it beautifully all the way through. And um, so it's an enormous kind of like inspiration in that sense. Um, Whenever I sit down to do something, that's the bar basically. Wow. I kind of I think I need to be able to do a domu, <laughs> yeah. do something that's as good as that, because it's just the way it manages to use those things um, is amazing. And I think better than Akira. Um, I prefer it to Akira in a way. Wow. Um, in a lot of ways, because it, it's so economical in the way that it works. It's an amazing book. Um, but yeah, being fans of things, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I like that book a lot (laughs) definitely (laughs) that's what I said but it is it's amazing Uh, and a lot of people haven't read it because it's like I say it's been out of print but Katsuhiro has been talking about the fact that he has a deal set up I I can't remember the details of it where it's a republishing of everything that he's done right from the very beginning Uh, so that will get caught up with at some point and that will come out again and I really hope people read it and pick it up because it's quite extraordinary book and you know especially if you're going off into comics and wanting to learn about how to write and draw comic books it's an amazing masterclass in how to do that um and it's very simple story very straightforward it's beautiful and it it reminds me of a in a weird way it reminds me of i think this is a carrie fisher quote and now you were thinking about the whole idea of being stuck in a car with the kids because the, uh, there's this whole thing in it about the generations, like there's the very old and the very young, let's say. And one of the things that it reminds me of is this, I think it's a Carrie Fisher quote. And when I say it, it does sound like a Carrie Fisher quote, in which it says, the reason why grandchildren get on so well with grandparents is because they have a common enemy. <laughs> That's right. That does sound like <laughs> true, yeah. Carrie Fisher. right? But it's <laughs> And um so I think it kind of makes me think of that as well, because the people who are throwing themselves off of buildings are the people in the middle in their ages, you know, so the adults effectively, but it's, it's a really good book. Fun I would this. say that is the favorite. And then if, yeah, yeah.
0: And so yeah. with, the, with, with the bar set so high, um, yes. which which one of these, uh, which comic
1: or graphic novel would you take into the apocalypse with you? Domu, but I realistically, because of space, I wouldn't be able to take it with me. <laughs> 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 but I would make sure that it was left for civilizations in the future in case it never goes into print again, because of the fact no. that everything has been shut down. <laughs> And it's going to take something bigger than Guggenheim to get things working again. And I think it it would be very much um, a relic for others to discover because I've already discovered it. So I think I'd leave it. I might make a game of it and bury it and leave clues, but (laughs) I don't think I'd have time if it was an apocalypse. I think if I did that, and we get to the lakes and it's busy, it's full, and we can't get in just because I decided to create like a Kit Williams treasure <laughs> garden. That's just like, that would be bad. Um, do you know what I mean?
0: I think but, your family would be quite annoyed.
1: I'd be really annoyed. We'd there for four hours. <laughs> we could have been here five hours ago. Yeah. No, they're very, very uh, understanding. <laughs> like, it's it's I, but yeah, I would, that is a book I would probably keep. Desert Island Disc type thing, isn't it, I suppose? I, it so would fun. be one I'd hang on to for that reason. And yeah, after all my rambling in the car for that long journey, I would hand it over to my kids and see, see, I was right. From there I get printed and I've got the last remaining copy. <laughs> This may be worth something. That would be my argument for keeping it in the car. Oh, definitely. You know, taking it with us. I said, this could be the economy of the future. It's this old Domu, which could actually, you know, somebody might buy it off us for quite a lot of money. <laughs> exactly. From the,
0: or a lot of food. Or a lot of food, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. Uh, now, along with your... Um, your copy of Domu. Uh, what weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take into the pockets with you as well?
1: The, so the axe. at the beginning, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you can build. Um, I learned when I was a kid to throw. There's a there's an axe in Poland called a chupaga, which is like a, a walking cane type thing with an axe head on it. Wicked. That hikers take with them in Poland, and the gorale, which is like there's a group of people called Gurale, which are the uh, highlanders in the mountains in Zakopane, which is in the south hmm. that's just my phone pinging on the background yeah. the um the it would be yeah i learned to throw one of those when i was a kid wow and so i can throw an axe so i would definitely take an axe uh, because you can you can do anything with an axe. If I could build a house, it would be with an axe. I would be able to, um, uh, yeah, no end of stuff. <laughs> like, exactly. you, can, you can start a fire. You can anything. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have an axe with me. Uh, and if, uh I could build a house. I could do anything. Yeah,
0: it's like one of those uh, one of those items. It's like a towel in Hitchhikers. Yeah, a galaxy, isn't it? It's like it's just useful for everything.
1: I can't believe we just don't have more axes. I don't get
0: Yeah, what's that <laughs> actually, about?
1: You know, you definitely need an axe. I think it's, um, yeah, I've always got one nearby. I actually do as well. That's not yeah, like... literally. <laughs> I know, about two, three metres away from here where there is an axe.
0: <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah,
1: just in case. So, yeah.
0: Well, you never know in these, uh, in these uh, times, okay. so uh, that's, uh, that's very good. Um, and uh, Ian Colbard, thank you so much for sharing your comics for the Apocalypse. It's, it's been an absolute okay. pleasure. Okay, thank you. Fantastic. Thank you very
1: much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you very
0: oh, much. Oh, it's quite all right. And uh, for the listeners one more time, um, where can they find you uh, on social media?
1: <laughs> on Twitter, <laughs> the best bet. I enjoy combat at Twitter. And when I do finally have an internet presence, presence after this, um, after we get the generators back up and running, <laughs> then, <laughs> then it would be possible that uh, yeah, I would include that on my Twitter handle. But yeah, I'm generally on there. So yeah check it out there
0: fantastic <laughs> yeah. well again ian thank you so much for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure and uh hopefully when comic cons do get up and running again our paths yeah. will cross at that time
1: brilliant that would be lovely thank you
0: no, thanks again ian
1: thank you bye bye
0: thanks again to ian for being on comics with the apocalypse it was an absolute pleasure if you enjoyed the show please leave a review for us on itunes or whichever podcast service you use as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Ian's work, I'll follow him on social media. Those links from the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news, the comic club, and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.